We are now going to be uh, talking about uh, the recent incidents that are happening around the world, specifically what has happened uh, where thousands of Afghans held protests on Friday. And they were expressing their anger, apparently, after a far-right political um, politician publicly set on fire the Quran in Sweden. This happened last week, right? And this was the anti-immigration uh, politician from the far-right fringe that burned a copy of the Holy Muslim book during a protest near the Turkish embassy in Stockholm. But then we also saw um, last week that there was uh, the Holy Book when it was set alight um, near the embassy, that there was a lot of other things that were happening. This evening we just want to reflect and just what was the aim and to understand this conversation, to understand what the Muslims view on this burning of the Quran is, to understand the laws governing the burning of this religious book in different countries, particularly in Europe, as we've seen in recent incidents. We are joined by Professor Farid Isak, who's a South African scholar of Islam at the University of Johannesburg. Thank you very much, uh, Professor Isak, for joining us. Good evening. Good evening to you and to the viewers. <coughs> so, to the listeners. Thank you very much for joining us. Thank you so very much for joining <coughs> us, uh, Professor. W- this incident, what has been your immediate take uh, from the Muslim community? Okay, first, <clears throat> I mean, it's like, you know, two completely opposite cultures, um, not even talking to each other, but uh, really colliding with each other in this uh, respect. Um, <clears throat> because uh, for for non-Muslims, uh, all non-Muslims, or at least for Christians, and um, and more particularly, I mean, uh, <clears throat> more particularly, completely uh, secular or a-religious or anti-religious, the Quran is seen by them as just a, a holy book. Uh, in the same way that people talk about the Bible as a holy book. But the reality is that for Muslims, it's a completely different kind of text. Um, For Muslims, the role of the Quran or the way they perceive the Quran, it is really in the Christian world the way the Christians perceive and hold on to Jesus Christ. So Jesus Christ as sacred, Jesus Christ as the word of God becoming flesh on earth, uh, Jesus Christ, uh, Christ as in, uh, in some ways, in some ways only a human figure, but really a figure that is uh, coexistent with uh, the God. And so, so Christ is often in Christianity described as the Lord, and Christ sometimes morphs with God. And so this is the kind of the, the sacredness of Christ in the Christian world. For Muslims, the Qur'an occupies that space. So the Qur'an for Muslims, it's not the equivalent of the Bible in Christianity. The Qur'an for Muslims is the space that occupies a space in their religious life that Christ occupies in the... And so in some ways, you know, to burn the Qur'an for Muslims, it's to burn and effigy or a sacred statue that you find often more in the Catholic churches than in the... It's, it's to burn that image of Christ. Um, it's like, you know, spitting on burning the body of Christ. So this is how uh, many Muslim societies 
perceived this. So it's, of course, two entities that completely have different responses. Um, and then on the other hand, in Muslim societies, often, they often authoritarian societies, and what the government says will happen, allow protests or don't allow. And so when in, in Sweden or in Denmark, when people engage in public protest and they burn something as sacred as the Quran up, Muslims kind of often imagine that, wait, why aren't the government stopping them? Why? You know, the government must be the whole of the United States, the whole of Sweden, though. Because in their own societies, this kind of thing would never be allowed to happen without government approval. Because in many of these societies, quite frankly, there is no freedom of speech or democracy. So when they see this happening in another country, they think it must be all Americans, it must be all Swedish, it must be all. And so not only then is there this mis, not proper understanding of what the text means in these different cultures, but also, what does protest mean? And so, um, then, I mean, in, in many of these countries, Muslims get really, really upset, but they also blame all of those people instead of saying it's a right-wing element in that country. The government can't do anything in that country because there are freedom of speech, uh, constitutional, these things. And so, it's, kind of, it's, so both, it's a different religious paradigm, but also a very different kind of socio-political paradigm from which these two oppositional groups operate. Now, from what you have ex- described to me, especially about how dear and uh, what uh, the word um, highly revered the Quran is to the Islam community, um, clearly when such acts happen, even if they happen in countries where there's the freedom of speech and freedom of doing at your own will when it comes to religion, it can be upsetting to uh, those who are uh, pious, um, uh, you know, Muslims, just like what we've seen with the protest that happened on Friday. With this protest, what is the aim of the protest by the protesters who, are, who, who went out to say, we are not happy with such acts? What is their aim? Well, they want to demonstrate the um, the extent of the offense at what was done, and in that that's the first thing. But the second thing is they also wanting to strike what they regard as warning people in the West the threats to Western civilization. So there is an element, of course, of religious intolerance in all of this. But far more important, I think, is. <clears throat> a political intolerance of um, of multiculturalism, of um, a pluralist society, and that, I think, is the real beef, um, the real beef, <laughs> uh, with, uh, with Muslim uh, immigration. Um, yeah, and it gets reflected in, you know, let's get these people that hurt the most, burn the Qur'an. Burn the Quran, and um, and I don't know, but I think that uh, I mean, uh, as a Muslim, I think that there are better ways of responding to insults upon your religion. I um, <clears throat> I may be hurt, I may be pained by it, I may get very very angry, 
but you know that's a different kind of society. You know, um, they burn books. Now, now you know. Obviously, when when someone is burning a book that you hold dear to yourself, um, the way you've described at the beginning of our, our conversation, that is going to make you feel offended. But are there any laws anywhere around the world that uh, outline and speak about, you know, sh- the, the, what should be done with religious texts? Um, well, in in the Muslim world, there is a there are laws uh, that prohibit this kind of thing, and there are different things: the defamation of the Prophet, or the defamation of Islam, or uh, in Indonesia, for example, there are six religions that are protected, and so you can't offend against any of these religions. But generally, in uh, Western liberal societies, there isn't any prohibition on this. There are limitations to uh, inciting to violence, and that goes in South African law as well. You can't incite to violence, but um, people have the right in uh, democracies or in Western, people have the right to give offense. And you can't protect any community um, or any religion against uh, being offended. Um, you may say that, you know, you are offended by uh, the Zulu tradition of polygamy. And that it is barbaric and it is uh, anti You can say all of these things, but you can't, uh, you can't in then incite people against the Zulu traditions. So you have the right to be offended, but in, in Western democracies, you can't use your being offended to legally act against another person. And you can't use the fact that you are offended to, um, to then curtail the rights of the other person to, to continue to give offense. Um, I think that, uh, for example, uh, I, think that, uh, I think that a particular church that it is a complete abomination that they built on lies and deceit and and and. I can say all of this that I want to, but I can't go and bomb that church that is based on even satanic practices. I can say this. I can say what I think about them, mm. but I can't act against them. And believe it or not, in liberal democracies, uh, you have the right to start a church that's, uh, that's based on the worship of Satanism. And that's unfortunately or fortunately the price that you have to pay for your freedom to, <clears throat> to give offense if you want to. You must expect to be offended. I mean, you... <clears throat> so, <clears throat> I, I, I mean, so in liberal democracies, there is no way that you can criminalize people giving offense. <clears throat> you can criminalize the question of incitement to violence. That's... <clears throat> And, and I mean, and then of course there's a whole of things in uh, freedom of expression about whether this violence is imminent or not. <clears throat> um, but this is connected to a question, to the question of freedom of expression and the freedom to give offence. 
Well, yeah, um, the, the, when you've got freedom, you also have responsibility that goes hand in hand with that freedom. And that responsibility is, you know, in this, uh, in this case, to, to as much as you want to express yourself because you are free, but you also don't want to find yourself being offensive or being as derogative or being one that is inciting a certain action or provoking a certain action from the other. So this is one thing I think perhaps has not been done because there's a huge community, uh, Islam community uh, in Europe, even in Sweden, where this incident happened. There's a huge Islam community that is active in the economy, active in general society, that obviously is also offended despite them living in this country that has these rights. So with that in mind, Professor, how can the Islamic community within uh, Sweden, specifically Stockholm, then have some comfort that this particular act that was done of burning of uh, the Quran will not translate in other things happening to them as an Islamic community? Okay, so firstly, I mean, the freedom, the freedom to offend, the freedom of speech, and, 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 that is a freedom that you legislate in law, okay? But the responsibility that comes with that freedom, that is not something that is enacted in law. You can't tell people this is what a responsible citizen does. This is what a, I mean, now, I mean, recently, you know, the, the whole question that, if, you know, it is a dead person lying on the street. Um, do you have an obligation to pay attention? If somebody's knocked over by a car in the car, right, are you under obligation to just walk on owner? This is a new area, the, the kind of the responsibility that comes with freedom. This is a new area that's being developed in law inside what okay so what does the swedish muslim community do the swedish community muslim community they must act in concert with other civil society and political entities in the country that shares the ideals of respect for religion so instead of just mobilizing as a small minority of Muslims, and I think South Africa is a remarkable example of this, that when Muslims in South Africa perceive offense, they, they resort to other interfaith organizations, they resort to government and the state to defend their rights and an end, and they resort to talking to politicians to mobilize on, on the basis of religious tolerance and so on. What religious minorities, it's not my way of doing, is to entirely then draw into a cocoon on your own and you're now going to take on the whole of Swedish society as a Muslim. It's, it's really counterproductive. How do you as Muslims mobilize with other religious groups, other civil society formations that share your perspective of respect for cultures, respect for other people's religious freedoms and their sensitivities and so on? And how do we then collectively work with those other Swedish formations to articulate and to push this agenda of Sweden that is more embracing and accepting of religious diversity 
this on the one hand, and on the other hand, with all of your other uh, partners, how do you push against this uh, Christian right-wing um, <clears throat> European civilizational uh, supremacist entities? Because the truth is that those entities are also gaining bigger power in those societies, and that's a challenge for all democratic uh, loving Swedes mm. and Muslims must make common cause with those elements to enhance um, respect for their own uh, religion and religious text. Professor Esak, thank you very much for joining us and yeah. uh, giving us uh, your perspective on Hello. this incident. Thank you very much. Have a good evening further. You are listening to Facts of Faith 